If only the blockchain had a way to make decentralized collaboration of contracts as easy as a WordPress plugin. If only there was a way for fantasy sports enthusiasts to have their own token, which would be fully liquid. And if only there was a way to sweep those failed crypto tokens into coins, which would have something of value. Well, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all be crypto millionaires. But today, you'll meet entrepreneurs seeking to make all of these concepts a reality on the blockchain. Whatever else you're doing right now, it can wait. Unless you're a doctor in the middle of open heart surgery, and if that's the case, just listen in your earbuds as you work. Otherwise, we welcome you to join us on the farthest reaches of technology for this sponsored Crypto Spotlight edition of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three. It's time for some ICOs in the Crypto Spotlight today. Yes. Very nice. This is an interesting episode. We have a we have a couple of really cool um, projects with us today. It's a couple. I think there's three. Well, there's three. You get, only, only, which, <laughs> you get a guess which one's not that cool. Only a couple. I don't know. I think they're all pretty darn Actually, they're, cool. Well, all three of them are pretty cool this week. I like I liked all three of these. Yeah, don't hate on any of them, Travis. I'm not a hater. I'm a these are our, later. Yeah, these are our sponsors. Uh, these and and of course, you can't just get on the show just by throwing money at us. Just let's be clear about that because we've had plenty of cryptos come to us and say, "We want to be on your show and check us out. We want to have our going on your show." And we're like, "Uh, no." Now, that's that's not going to work. But this is a sponsored episode of the Bad Crypto Podcast, which means the uh, segments that you're going to hear, the interviews that you're going to discover as you listen in your ears today are with companies that we think are have have really good ideas. And some of them are already in process of, you know, their their product being rolled out um, to existing audiences. And we agree to let them on for a fee. And so we are being compensated for all the interviews that you're hearing today. It doesn't mean we go easy on them. It just means that we're being paid and we are not making any recommendations that you do anything with any of your monies ever because we are not financial advisors. We're not? As of well, forever. Well, that's right. We've never been financial advisors. I was almost an insurance advisor way back in the day, like 25 years ago or so, like right out of high school, I took the... Um, I was like, I'm going to get into insurance sales, and I'm going to sell this Primerica multi-level marketing thing. It's going to be genius. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the most boring thing ever. <laughs> I, I looked at that as well, by the way, the Primerica thing. What was the guy's name? Uh, Will uh, Art, Art Williams? Art? Art oh, yeah. Age, uh, Art, yeah, something like that. A.J. Williams or something. Something the dude who originally created it. There was a guy here in Kansas City, Shane Rudman, who was making like $3 million a year. And, you know, the one thing of value that I got from that, because I was I was literally right out of it. It was like right after I got out of the Army. And um, it was about, um, you know, the book Think and Grow Rich. And, you know, like that as a as a guiding principle. And I read that book and I was like, oh, my God, I am an entrepreneur. Uh, I need to be focused more and build up my skill set. So, yeah, that was interesting. But we're not talking about insurance at all today, so that's completely irrelevant. Yeah, once upon a time, I was an encyclopedia 
advisor. I was advising people <laughs> to buy Encyclopedia Britannicas, and Very for a couple nice. of years, it was A. L. Williams. He a. L. was the yep, Arthur <laughs> Arthur L. Williams. He was the progenitor of Primerica. Now we're really dating ourselves. Uh, but I don't want to date you, Mr. Travis, right? What's well, good. Cause I don't want to date you, <laughs> but what we do have is a date with three of these ICOs today. And we invite you to come on in and decide for yourself, which ones you think have the most promise and join us on the bad crypto mastermind at badco.in forward slash mastermind. Find the post with this spotlight episode, which is spotlight episode number 28. And let us know your thoughts on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually this first one we have today. We have mentioned it in a couple of episodes prior to because it's a it's 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 an interesting one the Dow stack uh, the uh, it's basically the future of collaboration and how different things can be plugged in uh, this is interesting so I think you guys are going to enjoy this this first uh, first interview today stop collaborate and listen. All right, bear with us here, people, because what you're about to hear is brain-bending and challenging and at the same time deeply significant, um, and, and we really want to make sure that we and you are clear on uh, this project, uh, the intent of what they want to do here, because um, if they're able to pull this off, I think it's going to be really impactful. We have with us the CEO and founder of DowStack, Matan Field. It's DowStack, D-A-O, stack.io. And Matan, welcome to Bad Crypto. Thank you. Hi, Joe. What's up? Good to be here. Say hi to Travis, too, or he'll feel left oh, out. Oh, sorry. Hi, Travis. Yeah, I hurt my feelings. Now I'm going to ask hard questions. <laughs> Travis, go ahead. <laughs> what, what, what have question. I done? What have I done? What, what have I done? What have you done? No, so so tell us a little bit about the Dow stack. So from from what I understand and from what you, you have mentioned on your your summary, it's an operating system for a new form of web organization, the DAO. And most people are familiar with the DAO, the Decentralized Autonomous Organization. The DAO was one of the biggest ICOs that ever came through the space, and there were some big challenges with that. They ended up having to create the Ethereum fork, and it was just all crazy. But uh, the the idea of the DAO is very interesting. So what is what is DAO stack? So, great. So, firstly, maybe maybe we can ask what is a DAO? Because the, well, yeah, you know that would have been my question, but Travis is bad. What's a DAO? Right. So there is this thesis that there is a new form of organization or new form of coordination of people that that exists out there. Think, you know, just for for visualization, think the way, think about the way that fish, you know, large number, million fish will coordinate together and and and, uh, and you know and swim as a flock, or a, a, or star, or starling birds. Similarly, or bees and so on and so forth. So there's a different way of coordination than the way that we are used to, where there is hierarchical rigid structure, um, direct coordination, and there is a new way of indirect coordination. And the idea is to have that analogy for human beings. So how large net- networks of millions uh, of developers or millions of uh, influencers or writers or anything you can think about, how those millions of people will be indirectly coordinated around shared goals, shared missions. So this, this I would call uh, the DAO. And with, with regard to that, the DAO stack could be the technology that operates that, the technology that, that, that enables those millions of people to coordinate indirectly together. 
let's I want to make this even simpler because uh, I read there's a piece that we'll link to here on medium by Jeremy Epstein um, who's who's been a guest on on the show and he is oh I believe is actually an advisor of D- Dallas yeah, Back, he, correct? He's an advisor. correct yeah um, and right. we'll link to this and what I like is that he kind of refers to it analogous to WordPress. You know, uh, many of us that have blogged for years, you use WordPress and we've got all these various plugins that we can use to modify how WordPress functions as a blog platform. And so he's kind of referred to this and I guess you have as well as the WordPress for DAOs. Sure. So, yeah. So, I mean, what I mentioned before is like, what is the DAO in terms of like grand vision? But if you, if you, if you pull it into, you know, little details, the DAO is sort of like a mesh network, just like the internet is a mesh network of websites. So the DAO is a mesh network of workers and companies. Each of those companies will have its own, you know, insider, inside governance system. And, and you can think of this, each company as sort of like the analogous to a website. And the problem right now is that there is no, there is no uh, valid uh, governance system for these kind of like web companies, web organizations, and, and probably also different companies, different smart, we call them smart companies because they use smart contracts on the blockchain. So um, right now there is no good governance system for those smart companies uh, on the blockchain. And most likely different companies will require different systems. So just as you have WordPress with which you can easily configure a website, in the same way with DAOStack, you can easily configure a smart company. So with a few clicks of a button, you can basically configure your own governance systems for your smart company, which then becomes a cell, if you want, or a part of a larger DAO. Mm. So it's kind of a mesh. You mentioned it's, it's a mesh network. Uh, is it kind of like an intranet that maybe can then connect to other people's intranets, potentially? Is that kind of a good analogy? Yes, I think the internet is a good analogy. So, yeah, you can think of each DAO as sort of like intranet. Intranet, like an internal yeah. company. Like right. You have your own intranet, yeah. Right. So each DAO, you can think of, the, of it as an intranet. But the beauty mm-hmm. of the DAO, the DAO stack and it, the way that it's built is that different DAOs are also interoperable with each other. So then eventually you, you really get the, you know, the internet, but in this case, the internet of work rather than internet yeah. information distribution. So are those sort of like side chains then? There's like this, there's a main chain and there's these other side chains you can sort of tap into. Is that kind of the, how the structure would work? It's a little bit different. So right, I mean, it's re- different but related. So right now we are focused on just a single chain and different mm-hmm. DAOs on top of that single chain. And later on, once there is more blockchain with smart contract program, program, programmable blockchains uh, mature up, we want to ha- to have interoperability between blockchain as well. Let me ask you this then. One question that I would say, because it seems to me that if you're going to have a lot of companies utilizing this, building building upon the Ethereum blockchain, do you have any concerns about scalability on the Ethereum blockchain? And maybe why didn't you choose like EOS or something else that maybe has more transactions per second? Because if you have a lot of people utilizing the DAO stack, in my mind, that's going to create even more congestion on the Ethereum network. Right. That's totally, I mean, yeah, we're totally aware of that and it's totally in our concern. So the reason we chose Ethereum is because we believe this right now is the most mature technology. Of course, there are other blockchains, but they are not as mature or pretty far from that. Yeah. In the, in the future, we'll definitely would like to work with more blockchains. That's that's one. In terms of scalability, it's different, definitely a big concern of us. And the way that we're going to solve it is, well, the way everyone are going to solve it is by 
enhancing more and more off-chain solutions. So mm. when you when you do off-chain solution, you can have uh, you can have platforms for off-chain solutions such as Plasma and Truebit that are in the making and and making v- very good progress. But you can also construct your own off-chain. Uh, you can kind of like take your logic from the chain and and migrate it to off-chain uh, solutions that you are building in-house. So we are we are we will we will go in both of those tracks. But generally, most of the most of the process, most of the application gradually will become off-chain. Well, let's talk a little bit about how the DAO stack is then fueled. You're creating a native token called the Gen token, G-E-N, and uh, this is what's needed in order to operate on the DAO stack. Is that correct? That's correct. So so the, the DAO stack at the, at the most bottom layer, as we said, it's kind of like the WordPress for organization, which means that very easily any user can, can uh, configure and found and operate a, a company or, or a DAO. Now, the second interesting thing is, which is related to a very big question, very big open question in the DAO space, which is how do you how do you make those systems, those governance systems operate for a very large number of people? So, I mean, you can easily think about a company that have 20 people, maybe 50 people, uh, and we're talking here about cooperative companies that have you know some, some sort of decentralized nature, but now what happens if you have 50,000? Uh, developers that are ro- working on code together and distributing ownership of that uh, code? Or what, what if you're speaking about 1 million of uh, 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 users that are, are doing decentralized insurance together? Uh, so how do you coordinate that uh, large number of people? And th- this was this was a big, big open question in the DAO space for, for many years. And basically what we came up with a solution, uh, which we call holographic consensus, is a sort of like a prediction game that is uh, wrapped around the governance structures that allow allow you to have to allow an organization to process a very large number uh, of decisions in a unit of time and still be uh, effective decisions. So wise decisions that are protected from uh, you know narrow interests. And the way that this is is made is is thanks to this. Uh, prediction game that is wrapping that governance structure. So the entire prediction game over all, all over uh, the ecosystem of DAOs or over DAO stack will be basically made played, if you want, uh, with the GN Gen token. So this is the gas, if you wish. It's kind of like like Ether, which is the gas for collective attention of computers. Then the Gen token is the gas for collective attention uh, of you know of agents of human beings. Now, let me ask, that holographic consensus sounds really interesting. And when you were talking about that, it sounds as if, you know, so you can make these effective decision uh, making, uh, you know, utilizing this technology, you can, you can have better, better decisions. Now, is that something that could be used maybe for a, for a, a government for voting? Yeah, it's, it's basically, well, it's used for anything you wished for. I mean, a, any governance system that has large number of agents, and would like to process large number of decisions. So if you if you are processing a single decision a year, that's not a big deal, right? Everyone can just uh, come and vote. But what if you have one million agents, and then you know anyone can come up with proposals, and you need to decide whether to execute or not those proposals. So what if you have let's say five thousand proposals every day, right? That's a lot of proposals. That's right. That's quite a lot of proposal, right? So how- I would have a headache. I would be like, oh my god, I need a new job. Yeah, exactly. So how? <laughs> How how million million people will agree or you know or not agree about each and every yeah. proposal? So if you that you see that the, the problem is that consensus and scale are in core tension with each other. So if you 
if you if you insist that everything is is accepted via consensus or kind of like everyone look at everything clearly it's not it's not possible but then if you are allowing decision to be made by you know by a little number of people then clearly it's not resilient because you know few people can basically attack the system or abuse the system or, or just you know just act from self-interest so the the solution of holographic consensus is that there is a game around that and still decisions can be uh, made by relatively small number of people. But on top of that, through the procedure of decision-making, there is an, an additional prediction game where external people, anyone, can come and make predictions about the fate of proposals. So, if, for example, I can, I can see a proposal that I think is underestimated. Nobody looks at it. And then I can signal to the network and say, look, I'm, I'm quite confident that this proposal is going to pass in, the, in that DAO. And, I'm, and more so, I'm willing to put my stake on that. I'm willing to put $200 that that will be the case. And then if I'm right, I will make profits from that. By doing so, I'm producing signal to the network uh, uh, about inefficiencies. But in this case, not, it's similar to economic efficiency and the way that investors and traders and arbitrators produce signal for the economy for inefficiencies in the same way here, but for social inefficiency. So I'm, I'm, by placing that prediction and stake, I'm producing a signal to the network for an underestimated proposal and also vice versa. I can look at a, a proposal and, you know, so far people are excited about that, but it, I think it's just because the right people are not looking at it and I'm, I'm willing to bet about it and I'm willing to place a stake of $1,000 that if that decision will be highly considered, it will not pass in that DAO. And again, I'm producing a signal by that. And that, and that prediction game is basically um, what allows for effective and scalable. There's a whole wisdom of crowds, you know, approach to this. Travis, I think we could have the bad stack um, that, you know, to to decentralize our decisions, right? Just, you know, but but yeah, but yeah. let's do like Ripple. There's, but there's so, only two of us. So yeah. Then like, so, we'll, but you know, XRP does that. So you know, we'll be we'll be centralized decentralization. So let's see as we as we get close to uh, wrapping up our time here together. Let's talk a little bit about the ICO for the Gen Token. Uh, when does it happen? How do people participate? And who can play? Right. So we have the public sale opens at uh, May eighth, and then we have a community pre-sale. It opens opens up on uh, May 1st, just for 48 hours, but then it's only for people who, uh, who, who process whitelisting up to four, 24 hours before opening the, the pre-sale. Anyone can participate, sorry, but US uh, citizens. So because of legal uh, compliance uh, problems right now, we, we just recently got informed that we cannot sell tokens to, in the US. Um, we hope that we will be able you know, to have US uh, backers, if you wish, uh, in any any time in the future. So this is about the uh, uh, the sales, and maybe it's another opportunity to to to, uh, to say that we are you are also launching our product on the mainnet of Ethereum uh, this week. So we have a full the full stack uh, all the way from the governance framework uh, and all the way uh, up and up to to the application that we've developed, the native application which we call Alchemy, will be launched on the mainnet uh, this week initially. Uh, internally for for about a month and then uh, publicly. And maybe just to say one word about Alchemy. So Alchemy is basically a, uh, a, an application for decentralized uh, resource allocation, centralized budgeting and rewarding system, with with which uh, you know com blockchain companies today uh, on on the network can can that have you know millions and and hundreds of millions of dollars in capital, and then they have thousands of people in human resource. They can easily deploy those capital into human capital. 
in an effective and scalable way via the wisdom of the crowd. So that's Alchemy launching and uh, stay tuned. Yeah, that's, that's very fascinating. Just real briefly, maybe talk about the team. Like, what is it about your team that you feel allows you guys to be best positioned to execute on this idea? So we have a very, uh, very experienced team. So Adam and I that founded uh, the, the project. So both of us uh, graduate uh, in PhD in theoretical physics. We're both architects for many, many years. Also, both of us have been following uh, the blockchain fully from 2013. And then, and then, and, and then also Adam has uh, over 20 years experience in code. So kind of we, we are bringing the technical and theoretical uh, ground to that. And then we have a really highly exper- ex- experienced team. Uh, for example, the product team, uh, three people in San Francisco uh, made uh, t- ma- many products for, for, for many millions of users. Uh, we have amazing team uh, in, in Boulder, Colorado, uh, leading the campaign. We have incredible team here in Israel doing the operations. So it's really a very large and very experienced team for many, all, all of us actually, most of us actually following uh, the blockchain for many, many years. Excellent. Well, we appreciate your time with us. It appears that your telegram is off to a really good start. Uh, the Dowstack community has got over 8,000 members in there. Is that the primary place that you're uh, asking people to come and join? Yeah. And that's also where they can find the link for the whitelisting. Um, but yeah, the telegram is the main channel to join. There is the forum for more deeper questions. Uh, and of course, there's the website where you can find everything. Uh, Matan Field, CEO and founder of Dowstack, the website dowstack.io. And Matan, good luck with your project. Thank you very much. Travis, you know what Billy Joel used to say? Billy Joel used to say all kinds of things. You need to be more specific with your questions. <laughs> with your with your Billy Joel uh, uh, nostalgia. Yeah. Well, he would say, it's just a fantasy. Whoa. Okay. Okay. I would not it's have guessed not- him to say that. Yeah. I, I well, guess he, he would did. have said, uptown girl, or, you know, a piano. Point girl. Yeah. Well, but that was, a, he, his song was about another kind of fantasy. Well, uh, if you guys know what that is, then write us and, and let us know. This is uh, about fantasy sports being blockchainified. Mm. And yeah, we have with us Mr. Daniel Simic, who is the CEO uh, of playup.com. And uh, these guys are dealing with all the major leagues and uh, they've got an app coming and they have a token sale around this whole thing. We're going to we're going to find out what it's all about. Welcome to Bad Crypto, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me today. So tell us a little bit about PlayUp and what's happening on the fantasy world there and why we need to blockchain this. Well, our site is the first fantasy sports site to go global. So we're not just based in North America and we're based all over the world and Ironically, a lot of our players are from Southeast Asia, uh, you know, around that area of the world. We have players in, uh, you know, um, Indonesia, Philippines, India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, all over the place. I think we're in 70 countries at the moment. For those interested players, for them, it's um, very hard to win prizes, mm. but not with a blockchain solution. Any in North Korea yet? Uh, no, we've skipped that for the time being. As soon as their, their nuclear um, projects go on hold, we'll then make it over there. Yeah, yeah. If if Trump can, uh, you know, make the peace, then you never know. A blockchain might invade North Korea too. Exactly, exactly. I, I want them all to adopt the play chip. They'll have to do another Bitcoin fork, uh, you know, Bitcoin Kim. 
right? <laughs> Another Kim.com. Right. Nice. So this is an actual business you have already. You've been working on this project for, what, three, four years? This is an existing business. This is an existing business that we started, I think it was around June 2014, when I left a conference in Las Vegas on fantasy sports and came back to Sydney and uh, was mesmerized by my experience and uh, decided to build um, a platform outside of North America. So you use all kinds of leagues, not only you know the NFL, Major League Baseball, and NBA, but also the Australian Football League, the BBL, the EPL, the IPL, whatever the hell those are, that- are the NRL. I don't know what any of those are. The PKL. Those must be some uh, uh, geographic specific leagues. You got it. Yep. The PKL is for Pakistan. The IPL is the Indian Premier League, which is on right now. We're getting a lot of a lot of players from those areas signing up every day, which is great considering we haven't even started marketing our product yet. Nice. So how many how many users do you have already? Uh, we have about four hundred and fifty thousand signed up. We we did buy um, a paid fantasy sports site in Australia, which was set up by Crown um, Crown Casino in Crownbet, which is uh, James Packer and a partner of his by the name of Matt Tripp. We uh, bought their fantasy platform off them and. So we're now swapping it out with our technology, but we've got a good user base. They spent a lot of money setting it up, and we've just taken it over, which is very cool. So you guys are looking at blockchain here to take this to the next level, and I'm assuming you're creating a token. That would be a real shocker. Correct. We've got the play chip is our token, which is a universal gaming token, and it is the play chip is the core currency within our um, own suite of products and soon-to-be products. Um, third-party products. So the play chip is to become the, the biggest global gaming currency. Hmm. Is that the is that the token um, code play chip? All all eight letters. Uh, well, the token code is basically whatever we put onto the exchanges. But at the moment, it's playchip.eth, uh, which will then obviously go onto the exchanges that um, and we have picked the name at that point in time. So we're, we're talking to the exchanges at the moment. So I think my very first uh, exposure to fantasy sports was back in like the the late 80s. Some of my friends and I, we, we basically drafted some NFL players and we would hand track them and we would wait for the Monday paper to come out and then we would grab all the statistics off of all those games and we did it all manually back in the day. Now, how exactly, I'm curious about how does the blockchain and fantasy sports actually work and how does it make the process better from your estimation okay well there's two two topics you've talked about there and one is the data feeds so we basically get the data feed straight from the the sports code which then um, filter into our system so when you play on our site it's in real time now that's not a great feat anymore because obviously you've got our competitors with two big ones in in the states already which do the same thing um but what we have done is gamify the experience a lot more but to talk about the blockchain, what we have done is we've allowed our users to be able to cash out anywhere in the world within, you know, almost instantaneously. We were never able to achieve that prior. So we've integrated um, gift stores and all other sorts of um, mechanisms for payout. But at the end of the day, people like to play and they like to, to, to get their money. So by putting the blockchain into our product, we have we allow our users to to cash in and cash out within 20 seconds, uh, and again they can they can do that anywhere in the world with a, with a global solution, which is the actual blockchain. It also allows us to do a rewards 
a reward system, unrivaled, because the play chip is our technically our own currency. We have much bigger prize pools, and we have uh, much bigger um, you know odds on our other platforms. So it's more of the opportunity via the rewards and payments system, which is why the blockchain enhances our product. It's not our product; it just enhances our product. So you guys are going to be doing an ICO then, and how uh, how do people participate in this? Okay, so at the moment, we're still dealing with um, my first and second degree networks. The actual ICO, well, pre-ICO will start very shortly, uh, and basically you just have to go to www.playup.com slash ICO, and you can buy your play chips online from that site. Our marketing campaigns uh, around the ICO begin uh, next next month. But at the moment, they are there if anyone wants to, bu- to buy them. We're just not publicly announcing the, um, the pre-sale just yet. So it's an it's a ERC-20 token? It's an ERC-20 token, correct. Okay, but it appears that uh, for the ICO, uh, usually uh, Ethereum is the only thing that people take for the ERC-20, as they see you also are accepting Bitcoin, uh, fiat currency, uh, even Visa and MasterCard. I, I don't see that a whole lot. No, no. So we already have users on our other sites um, where they can pay for cash. So we have to make sure we at least give our current users the option of participating. So hence our decision to to um, implement the credit card solution. Our other businesses generate um, large volumes of money on a daily basis. So once we go full retail and, and announce it via our marketing campaigns, it'll. It, we believe there'll be a lot of transactions in, via the traditional methods of payment. Travis, how would you like to pay for your ICO? Would that be Visa or MasterCard? <laughs> <laughs> I like to pay with fiat currency. Uh, that'd be great. So, so your technology then, you know, how, how soon until all of this is ready to roll, right? So it sounds like you've built this up. You've, you've acquired a, um, you know, an already existing fantasy platform. You've added your own technology to that. How, how soon until everything is ready to rock and roll? So all, all the sites are currently in operation. If you play on playup.com at the moment, you can actually earn, um, the play chip. Um, just by pl- entering free games, but uh, we ro- we intend to kick off the blockchain integration end of uh, end of June, early July, and we want to do that at the same time we we list on the exchanges, so we can do a big announcement, a massive game that everyone can, can participate in, and people will have to buy their coins to be able to go into that big game. But the people on our site now are already building up coins in their wallets, so if we turn on a game which you need a thousand coins to enter. We are estimating most people will have on average uh, 900 coins. So they'll, they'll need to go and buy 100 coins to participate in our 1,000 coins entry, which uh, which could be a, a reward. Of, uh, the prize could be 10 million coins. So the thing is we have done differently is we've built a product which has a user demand. There's a reason why the users outside of the blockchain will need to buy these tokens. And the other reason why we have a token outside of the blockchain is because we have players all over the world. So we originally turned it on in US dollars, but our Indian audience got upset because we, we had a lot of Indians on the site and they said it should be the ruby. So at that point, we decided even before the blockchain to go to a, to a common token, which, which people could buy on their own in their own currency and then the, the gaming environment play with the same token. So the play chip was actually around even before our commitment to the blockchain. 
Oh, that's fascinating. So you, so for the most part, you're just. So what is what is the need for the ICO then? Why are you raising money then? It sounds like most of it's ready to go. What what is what is um, the funds from the ICO? What are you guys going to be using to to build out with that? Okay, so unlike most ICOs, fifty five percent of funds raised are going to go towards marketing because, like any business, if you don't market, you don't have the users. You're never going to make profit. Mm-hmm. Now. We come from a stable business background where profit is actually the thing you need to make. Without profit, the business can't continue to grow. So we, we are making no, no hidden secret that we're here to make profit from the business. And the ICO funds will be used to market the, the platform. It will be used to market the play chip across, um, across product. And it will be used to grow out the technical base. Um, which is putting the play chip and the play chip wallet not only into our own products but into third-party products. So we have products already on the line um, that where people want to put into um, stock market trading games and other sorts of uh, gaming activity which can benefit from the play chip because with the play chip now comes an audience. So there's approximately 400,000 people that are, have already um, got access to their play chips in their wallets. Once those wallets become blockchain-enabled, we they and the blockchain enabled wallets become part of other people's ecosystems. We've got a massive spread and a massive audience that can help not only our own, our own games but other people's games. The website is playup.com. If you go to forward slash ICO, you can see all the information in the site is is really comprehensive. White paper, pitch deck, one pager, your story, your roadmap, uh, your team and uh, how to participate. Why don't you just give us a really uh, quick interview just because we're coming up on time here of the uh, the team behind this project and why you guys are the ones to make it happen. Well, firstly, our team is very experienced in what we do, which is sports-related, real-time sports-related products. So, And we've had people in the industry um, doing data feeds, and I realise sports betting is illegal in um, America, but um, the UK and Australia it's not. And the technology solutions in in uh, sports betting, it's very complex with the data feed. So we've hired people with the right training in data feed management and the, and the programming languages. And we've also got on board some doctors in cryptocurrency, cryptography. So we're surrounding ourselves with the right people in terms of technology development, blockchain, and also from the actual industry of, of sports who can add value to the actual game mechanics and how the games work. So if you play on our games, you'll notice there are a lot of things that are different compared to the other sites. Our salaries are based on real-life t- real salaries. Um, they're not dictated by a person. The salaries are auto-generated by an algorithm, which makes the games more exciting and more real. And it all, we also uh, have other functions and, um, and features within the games that are more sports-specific. So... That's where our product differentiates from everyone else, and that's be, and that's all come about from hiring the right people who know their stuff. So our team's online, rather than go through individual um, people on our team, they're on our website. But we have we have accumulated an awesome team over the last four years. Beautiful. All right. So uh, this is interesting. So where are you guys? You know. So obviously you have your own community on your website, but is there another place where you like to send people to learn more about this, uh, your token and like where are you growing your online community for the token sale? Are you on Telegram or one of those channels? Yeah, we have a Telegram channel, but it's all it's all um, low key at the moment until we sell out the next round of chips, which are live on our site now. So this is probably a, a very preemptive interview, which is quite 
um, quite encouraging for your for your listeners to participate early because there is a there is a bigger discount. And once this round is sold out, we then go public through through all the channels. So we've got our Telegram sitting there. We've got we've got um, Slack. We've got all the all the normal methods, ICO networks. Everything is in place, ready to go. We're just uh, making sure we tick a few more boxes, um, product testing, and then we we're 100 confident to turn the switch. We, we go for it. And basically, the way I like to sell our our ICO is we're pre-selling our play chips, which are no different to having chips in a casino. We, we sell those chips to the we manufacture the chips. We sell them to wholesalers, which is which is the people who are buying them, and then you deliver it to the cashiers, which is the exchange, where the players then come to get their chips to play on our games. So our ICO is basically saying, who are the wholesalers? He's picking the chips up from us and is going to sell them in the shop front. So that's our very simple way of what we're trying to achieve with, with our chip. And it's not a complex blockchain solution. It's not a complex model to get your head around. It's basically we manufacture play chips. We don't sell them direct. We sell them via a wholesale to the users who actually want to play with them. If the crypto world come involved and want to buy them, it will be good for everyone because the price goes up. But even if they don't, we know that our user base who needs them to enter our games is going to be the main point of demand for our product. Well, the sports might be fantasy, but the uh, the ambition for your project is not. It's a reality. And uh, we wish you the, the best of luck with it, uh, Daniel. Playup.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thanks. The Bad Crypto Podcast. Mr. Travis Wright, my Ether wallet has some tokens in there, which I don't think are ever going to go anywhere. You have a name for those. Yeah, I call them coins. Yeah, uh, and they just sit there um, because that's what you do when you take one of those. You just <laughs> you just sit. You just sit there, and, and somebody and then somebody left them and abandoned them, and and there's no way to flush them from my ether wallet. I wish that there was some value to those. And our guest on this segment is the coin janitor. And his name is Mark Kenigsberg. He is the CEO and founder of this project at coinjanitor.io. And they are going to attempt to bring value to the valueless but through community efforts. So uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Hey, guys. Joel, Travis, great to be here. Absolutely. This is definitely a, a problem in the space. Maybe tell us just how big of a problem is crypto dust? Well, there's there's different parts. You know, there's there's coins that are are just failed and scammed and dust in this. There's really much more of a problem than people realize. Just in terms of the amount of projects that have been abandoned or stopped, it's already in the thousands. You know, we have over 2,500 projects that are delisted and not being actively maintained. And this number is growing every day. So it's not just a dust issue. It's also abandoned. Exactly. Dust and batching, all of these kind of things are about optimizing healthy projects. We feel that dealing with the projects that are not healthy is, is a much more imminent issue. I like that idea because I have some tokens that uh, I can't transact with, I can't trade these tokens. So how exactly how exactly does your project, uh, how does it work? So the idea is that it's, it's meant to be something that benefits everyone and creates a mechanism for recycling. You know, in the real world, when a shop or a business goes out to a business and it fails, another business will replace it, a storefront will open. And we don't have that in crypto. These projects kind of linger on in their death march forever and never go anywhere. 
And what happens is you have users holding these bags, you have resources trapped in them. So we figure there's got to be a better way. So in its simplest form, we take over the project in cooperation with the owner. That means we maintain all the tech and own all the sites. We then pay every single user to give us their tokens from that project. We pay them for that in crypto that is tradable, that can be converted back to Bitcoin. And we burn all of the coins. Any assets that were in the project, whether it's usable code, marketing websites, social accounts, we then give back to the community and use for contacting more users to burn more tokens. Okay, I'm, I'm not totally clear. So if uh, there, there's a couple, a few, more than a few projects that I have sitting in my uh, Ether wallet that I don't think are ever going to go anywhere and they didn't work, what's the value in having the code for something that didn't work in the first place? Great question. So there's there's a couple of different levels here. For many of these projects, there will be no value in the code because a lot of them are clones of existing projects. But we have a team that will go through it, and if there is any code that's a value, we'll put it in an open source library and alert people to it. And as we move through these cryptos, we'll get to more and more valuable pieces of code. Even a lot of these failed projects have very interesting code snippets, but someone actually has to go through the library and find it. And that can be repurposed or supplemented on other projects. But the code isn't the only value here. So there's a lot of other parts that aren't code that have a lot of value to the community. For example, you have marketing websites, you have social accounts, you have forum threads. And the most important resource of all is you have users, you have development talent, you have people that wanted to achieve something, but they've been fragmented into these small communities. In a lot of cases, they've been disillusioned. So the idea is that as we bring them all into one community and we use all of those marketing resources that the project had to be able to speak more and extend more, we end up with a community that's engaged, that wants to do something for the common good, and we start pairing developers together. We start pairing project owners together in a way that allows for further cleaning and the creation of new things. We've seen it already and the ICO hasn't opened. That already some of the people in our Telegram group, some of the people that we're working with have started connecting for the sake of helping each other on their own projects. Yeah, this is definitely a community-oriented effort. Yeah, so as you mentioned, there are some failed or some dead coins that are, you know, sort of decommissioned or not being, um, you know, built upon or being maintained anymore. And so the, uh, yeah. So the first step, the first step for you then is for you to reach out to the previous owners to acquire their technology. Is that is that how that has to go? Exactly. So there's actually a step before that which is where a lot of things get interesting, is we had to figure out which coins were failed. There isn't a complete list. There's no sort of definition for when a project, you know, is successful or failed or won't be. So what we did is we spent almost a year trying to profile these coins. And we've built an incredible database where we monitor all these coins. We have 60 different data sources, a whole bunch of custom crawlers and a team of manual researchers. And we've defined... Um, 30 primary and 20 derived metrics that speak to the health of a project. So as it stands right now, I'm confident that we have the most comprehensive data set ever collected on these coins. Mm, you have the definitive coin list. Exactly. 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 And, and, and it sounds, it sounds kind of funny, right? But 
if we look at what actually makes a cryptocurrency succeed, you know, there's all this talk about, um, you know, utility tokens and uh, token economy based on utility and secondary market demand and all this kind of fancy stuff. In the end of the day, there's only two things that really drive success or price in crypto, at least in my opinion, which is network effect and an active community or speculative trading. And these projects, they have all of this trapped network effect. So us being able to measure the health of the project, things like block delivery and delays and community depth and breadth of wallet creation and social activity mean that not only do we have a list of coins for the first time ever, but we also have the metrics by which to gauge project health. And that allows for a lot of cool things in the future, especially with an active community. Really interesting. There's a lot of content on the website at coinjanitor.io, including a one-pager, a white paper, and uh, about the, the token and bounty. And we're going to get into the token here in just a moment. Uh, I'm curious, Is this seems to be such a community-based effort that is there much technology that needs to be developed on your end? Or is this like, hey, let's just start. Here's our GitHub and here's the code and away we go. So there actually is a lot more tech than people realize. And we don't have a GitHub at the moment because all of the tech that we're using for profiling is going to be released to holders, but it, we're not making it public yet. So there's technology in profiling. We have a couple thousand hours of development already just in building the systems to be able to collect this data. And then the first few months, we're going to do all manual swaps, very community orientated, one user to one user with account managers, because we have to educate the market on how to do this as well. But past that, we've begun work on things like uh, universal addresses, uh, automated token swaps, uh, interoperability between chains that don't support it, you know. So there is actually a lot of tech that comes from this. And then because we're ERC20 to start with, things like, POS voting rights and access to features. These are all things that will evolve with the roadmap as well. Right on. So your token is Jan, J-A-N, and um, you are your hard cap is $7.5 million, it looks like. You mentioned you are building it on the Ethereum platform. I see you guys do have a bit of a bounty available as well. Do you want to you want to talk a little bit about the tokenomics of your of your project? Starting with a bounty. The idea is very simple. Instead of having a complicated bounty program, we just, we made it very simple. Share us on a social network, you get a hundred tokens. Create content, you get tokens. Once off per user, the idea is to just spread the word. We're not trying to create an army of shills. We're not trying to create a system where people, you know, get rewarded based on the number of followers. Just join our community. You know, we need people to be talking about this. In terms of the tokenomics itself, and you'll see that that is in line with everything we did. Like we don't have advisors. We aren't doing like a, a pre-RCO sale. You know, we, we really want this to be primarily a community effort. And even people who aren't planning on contributing, that's fine. Come join us. Tell us better ways to do it. Tell us about tokens you have you want clean. You know, we really want a lot of people involved. So the tokenomics themselves are actually very simple. Um, 50% of all tokens will be sold in RCO. 30% will be held for reserve to do the swaps. And we've done a model um, based on coins that are delisted, which means they have a maximum market cap of 50,000. In most cases, even less if they're delisted because it's zero. But that's the maximum. So based on that model, we set an exchange rate 
where we give Jan tokens in exchange for these coins. And that model allows us to make a significant dent in the market. And with the appreciation that we expect as a result of the growing community, it will create a perpetual runway for us to continue doing these swaps. This is really interesting stuff here. And uh, it's, it kind of reminds me of, you know, the artists who go to the junkyard and, you know, they find this, this trash and, and they create this metal, you know, beautiful artwork out of something old. And I, I love that there's this recycling attitude. So let's talk a little bit about the ICO and how people go about securing some Jan. And, and I can't help but hear Jan, Jan, Jan. Jan. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. So, so the first thing to mention is that the ICO is not open to US. So if you're in the US, you cannot actually buy directly in the ICO. You can take part in the bounty program and you can do swaps from any region. But uh, we wanted to avoid um, any sort of, you know, kind of draconian issues. Yeah. Prison. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, but that, that's not 100%. That's no, look, the, the reality is this, that this is something that we're doing for the long term, which is also why we locked up our tokens for two years, you know, um, and it needs to be inclusive of anyone who holds coins. But the primary purpose of the ICO is not just about the money. It's really about the platform as well. You know, we've spent a lot of money in building this and the money helps us do it faster and get more people. But the publicity is more important at this point, you know. So there are two ways to really take part. The, if you want to get tokens, the one is you can obviously contribute, take part in ICO and otherwise take part in the bounty. So even just taking part in the bounty, joining the telegram, that will get you tokens. And some of the bounty rewards are quite material. I mean, we're offering a bounty reward for connecting us with coin owners. That's, uh, I think it's 50,000 tokens. So, I mean, that's a huge bounty, you know? That is. This is pretty fascinating. And so where are you building your community? Because it sounds like you have, you're pulling in communities from all these failed coins. And so where are those, where are those um, uh, community members congregating? So at the moment, uh, Telegram, obviously. We also have a subscription on the website where you can go and create an account. You just enter your email address and then you'll, you'll get access to all the updates and all the notifications and stuff as it gets released. But Telegram is the best place because we're, we're always there. At least a couple of the founders, you can speak to us in real time. And that's where we're also going to be announcing the tokens that we're, we're going to be working with first. So if you want to know if we'll buy your coins, come and join our Telegram. Yeah, that's where you go. So the website, coinjanitor.io. Uh, Mark, anything else you'd like to share with the bad crypto audience? Um, yeah, actually, actually, I really would. Um, I think that there's two important questions that, that kind of come up here, you know? Um, the that one, we didn't ask, so yeah. ask them of yourself. <laughs> sure. Well, we get, we get them a lot. The first one is kind of obvious, right? Okay, let's assume you guys aren't scams. And you actually know what you're doing, which no one can know from listening to this. I mean, I know it, but, you know, people are going to have to have some faith. How do you make money? Because by definition, the project is a finite project with no revenue, right? We can't be only relying on token appreciation. So the thing is that we aren't. Um, our model is built on a 10-year runway with aggressive marketing, with all the operational overhead we need. But if you imagine all of the things that come out of access to this type of data, 
if you imagine the type of active community and the features and tools that can be built upon this, one of which, for example, we mentioned before the show being dust, you know, there are a lot of problems. So services that are developed out of the community that aren't just recycled old code will actually be available to JAN holders, which is a great reason to have it. And some of them will be offered as paid services, the community from next year. So there is a revenue model later on. But even without generating a single cent, we have 10 years of runway. We can eat a lot of coins in 10 years, you know? So that's the first thing. And the second thing is it's, it's kind of bittersweet because it's total crap, but by the same token, we're doing something good, you know? And that's really the second question here is, you know, why are we doing this? You know, we really worked hard to position it as a community project. We didn't do high-level banner advertising. You know, there were a lot of easier ways to raise money than this, but we care about breadth of community. And it is, it is an altruistic project, but it's also selfish. And it's selfish in two regards. One is it raises our profile, and specifically mine, because I go down as that crazy person who tried to do this. And the second thing is it's good for Bitcoin which is how the idea came about in the first place. My, my premise is that if we keep creating all these coins without any sort of threshold of utility, it's going to come back and bite us eventually. And I love Bitcoin and I love crypto and I don't want to see the market get polluted and every scam and his neighbor can just create coins. There needs to be a mechanism for, you know, ensuring that the things that exist make sense. I'm not talking about regulation, but I'm just talking about practicality here, you know? That's great. Makes sense to me. Maybe if I can, just quickly, I'll tell you where the idea came from. Like so many good ideas. It came from a drunk night at a bar in a foreign country. We were... <laughs> That's how all ex- the best... Exactly. Yeah. We, we, were, we were out at a bar and a couple of us were talking about bitcoins and, you know, kind of getting a little bit carried away with it. And, and we got into an argument about how many there were and that someone should go and clean them up. So I spent the next couple of weeks actually trying to win the argument because we took a bet, and I couldn't find the number. So by the time I'd gone down that rabbit hole, I actually realized the problem was much, much worse than we thought. And then we started speaking to people to do something, and everyone was like, yeah, it's a great idea, but why would I waste my time doing that? So we kind of figured, if we're not going to do it. Uh, I'll waste my time. That's good. That's good. You guys. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, good luck with your project, Mark. We will be keeping an eye on the coin janitor and uh, see where it goes. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. I feel like we finished with a bang there, Mr. Travis Wright. All these projects across the spectrum, interesting stuff. And I love what people are attempting to do with blockchain. I mean, seriously, when you're looking at that, the future of collaboration, the future of global fantasy sports, and then also the uh, cleaning up of inactive coins that uh, that no that no longer have value, but basically pulling in those uh, those communities and making making those old coins have value again. Those are all great projects, and, and it just goes to show all the different ways that blockchain is impacting the world, right? there. This is the new wave. Uh, if you're investing in these ICOs, it really is like you're, it's like angel investing 2.0 kind of, right? And anytime you invest in a startup, 90% of them fail. That's the, that's the math that comes right out of Silicon Valley, right? 90% of these startups are going to be fit. They're going to fail within the first three years or something, right? And uh, so it is a risk. So don't invest more than you can lose. 
that you can afford to lose. And, you know, don't take our word for any of this. This is just a starting point for you to do your own research, right? So maybe go over to ICO Bench or go over to ICO Rating or, you know, check out some of these other sites where they have reviewed these ICOs. If there's something that interests you about them, do more research on them. Go into their Telegram group. Go ask questions because don't just take our word for it because we did not make financial advice. This is just a showcase, a spotlight on these crypto companies that are showing you what they're doing with blockchain and uh, giving you an idea of what could be done. So yeah. you want your front door, walk down the street to the public park, sit down on the bench and, and uh, somebody's going to sit down there next to you, ask them what they think because <laughs> their advice might be just as good as any that were maybe not their ICO advisors. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Anyhow, thanks for joining us for this episode. We love you guys so much. It hurts. It does. And when you don't listen, we feel it in our hearts. There's this void. There's this emptiness that tells us somebody is not staying mad. The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto, LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.